Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. everyone and welcome to a playoff conference finals edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk with you as always. Joining me to talk all things NBA playoffs and Eastern and Western Conference Finals plus an expert on grown men kicking each other in the groin, Dan Feldman. Thanks for being here. Oh man, I, I have a new title now. Yeah, you can put that on the business card. That'll that'll, that'll go over well. Um, I guess we should start there, just because that that's been the big topic of discussion every time I've been on the radio the last couple of days. For those that live in a cave, um, in the game three between the Thunder and um, Warriors. Draymond Green had been fouled, tried to flail, according to him, going up and caught uh, with his foot going up. Stephen Adams clean in the groin. It was uh, a pretty clean shot. Adams went to the ground. Uh, At the time, they called it a flagrant one. Uh, Upon review, the NBA decided it was a flagrant two with a $25,000 fine, but they didn't suspend him. That has... Enraged Thunder fans and some other people around the, around uh, sports. I, Dan, where do you stand? I don't. I, don't, I kind of was. I was fine with this. I was fine with this. I would have been fine if they suspended him. You know, we can't. We can't know his intent. Yeah, we just can't. And, and there have been videos that come out that show that this is pretty standard operating procedure for him. He he drives into the lane and he shoots from that angle and he just kicks his leg up. And maybe it's because he's just a, a reckless driver. Or maybe it's because he's trying to sell the call. Either way, he needs to cut this out. And I would have had no problem if the league said, yeah, you keep doing this dangerous thing, and we didn't call you on it because you didn't make contact. Now you made contact. Now you have to pay the price, and that's a suspension. I would have had zero problem with that. Uh, if they came out with this ruling of a, a flagrant two, and now this moves his flagrant point total to within one point of a suspension, you know, I have no problem with that either. It's... It's not a black and white issue, and you know, with it, they're within whatever the gray area is. Exactly, and I, I think that that was a key part of it by upping it to the flagrant two. I mean, yeah, they tacked on the twenty five thousand dollar fine, but by upping it to a flagrant two, if he gets one more flagrant, a flagrant one, he's suspended the next game. If he gets a flagrant two, he's actually suspended the two games after that. So they have 
they've I, I would for lack of a better phrase kind of put him on a leash kind of kind of kind of said hey you've got to rein this in now or there's a price to be paid um i don't know whether that was their thinking whether the thought was hey at, you know at least we're putting him on his last warning i do not like that i you know i think it's a fine outcome and probably guess it's the right point but i don't like considering this differently because he has so many flagrant points you know yeah. what if what if he had no flagrant points? What if a flagrant two would have triggered a suspension now? Would it have been different? And I don't think that's how it should be. I don't think that should come into account, even though I think in this case it gets us to a fairly fair point. Yeah, exactly. I think the ultimate outcome on this is, is fair, and Thunder fans are screaming at this right now. Look, I just I don't want to see him out of this game, I, and I don't think that that was the fair outcome of this. So that said... Well, I think those are two separate issues, and I think that's what really a lot of the discussion, people aren't separating those. No, I don't want to see him out of the game. I don't care who wins. I want to see a good basketball game, so I want to see him play. If you're a Thunder fan, of course you want to see him out. If you're a Warriors fan, of course you want to see him in. But for the rest of us who just want to see a good game, we should all want to see him in. Uh, That doesn't make it fair. You know, we can also support what's fair. But now the league came down with this, I'll be happy to watch him play and see how he adjusts going into the next game. Yeah, and that's one of the things I wrote about in the preview for this is that he's got to have a better game. He was terrible. He was one of nine shooting. He had four turnovers. But more than that, he was just bad on the defensive end. He was just not very Draymond-like. He was not the all-star kind of guy that they need in this series, especially with the new small lineup that, that gave them, the, the new Thunder small lineup that gave them so much trouble. You're going to have to have a lot better performance out of Draymond in Game 4 to advance, you know, to, to win. And I don't think man, they want to go down 3-1 in this series. I think that could be real trouble. Oh, it absolutely could. It was like he was playing in slow motion defensively in the last game. I, I didn't understand it one bit. I don't know if he's tired. I don't know if, I don't know what it was. I mean, he just... He was slow getting up the court, and he's got to know, and he does know. I mean, he's, he, they've used this small lineup, the Warriors, their small lineup, all the time to great effect, and he's the last line of defense. He's the rim protector. He has to get to the paint. And he was just so slow getting there, so slow on, on everything. It, it was really strange. Even when he was beating himself up against Portland uh, for his poor defense, it was nowhere near as bad as it was in this game. And the Thunder, with their small lineup, like you said, were – we're so well-equipped to take advantage. That's exactly it. By the way, the one other thing from the, before we move on from the kicking of groins, the, the Mel Brooks of the NBA, if you will, <laughs> um, a lot of people wanted to compare this to the Dante Jones uh, foul with the Cavaliers in the final seconds against Toronto. The league, and Kiki Van was very clear about this, that, see that as a very different instance. This was a guy inserted at the end of the game frankly, almost looking to cause trouble. Dante Jones has a rep. He said it was unintentional, but that's an arm swing with a closed fist. It didn't look unintentional to me. And I, I, the other part of it is they still took the lesser painful option for him in that case. If they'd find him $25,000, that's three times what he made. He signed a few days before the end of the season. He made a little over $8,000. By suspending him for a game, he gets fined 80 bucks. It's the... It's basically the one NBA fine I could ever afford. It's it's I, I think that they intentionally did that to a degree to because actually fining him would have been more painful. And he doesn't affect their rotation at all because he never plays. Right, that could be part of it. And, and there's a larger discussion to be had about whether the NBA should 
do fines relative all fines relative to salary because you occasionally do run into problems like this. Is it really fair to find him triple his salary, you know, yeah. for for this? But context matters too. I mean, he he's a player even more than Dur- Draymond Green who everybody sees as an antagonist outside of Golden State. He has a reputation for yes. being somewhat dirty. He comes in at the end of the game. He wasn't playing and pretty much all he does is this dirty play. You know, there's in the context, it's more a plus. Draymond, a lot of people are laughing at Draymond Green for bringing up, you know, it's a hand versus a foot. But I think that matters. You have so much more precision with your hand than your foot. And Draymond Green was reckless, no question. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe he meant to kick Steven Adams. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. But at minimum, he was reckless. Uh, but it's a much harder case to make that Dante Jones was reckless with your with his hand. I mean, that, that yeah. just seems so much more precise. There's a reason... We, we write with our hands and not our feet. Go go put a pen between your toes and try to write and see how your handwriting is. Yeah, exactly. I, this was not the first time. And by the way, we've seen that before. Serge Ibaka took a full swing at Blake Griffin and, by the way, got a fine for it. So I, I, I do think the salary thing kind of played into that. Let's move on to that game four um, or game three in that series. That small ball lineup, that defense from... The Thunder has really flummoxed Golden State. They have really gotten them out of what they want to do in terms of, oh, hey, we've got a switch on a mismatch, and we can find a mismatch, and we can move the ball and exploit that. The athleticism of the Thunder is kind of taking that away. You're seeing a lot more isolation in those sets from Golden State. They're not moving the ball, and they're ending up with kind of rushed bad shots because they feel like they don't have big windows. I think it's even even more than them not moving the ball. I do think they're moving the ball okay, and it could be better, and it should be better once they get into their offense. It's the shots that are before they even get into their offense where they, yes. you know, first any open-ish look, which is not always a bad shot for the Warriors. I mean, they have some really good shot makers, and they've changed my thinking on, on quick shots, you know, how I view them. And I, I've come around to the idea that if you come up court and you're open, just, just gun it. And that's okay, but you've got to consider the greater context. And one is the Thunder, they have not proven over the long haul to be an excellent rotating defensive team. If you move the ball in your half-court offense, I think you're more likely to to generate good shots than you are against a typical conference finalist. Plus, when the Thunder goes small, they're so much better at running. So if you take this quick shot and everybody's out of position, the Thunder are going to make you pay on the other end. They're going to get a look in transition. I think that was a big difference for Kevin Durant in this game uh, compared to uh, when he was struggling and talking about, well, how am I going to play when I'm getting triple teamed? They got into their offense so quickly, and whenever he got the ball, he was already on the move, even within their half court, because the Warriors were never completely settled. And so when he gets the ball on the move, he's just so much more dangerous. So in this series, the Warriors really, not that they need to slow it down, but they just need to be more patient, realize that first okay, goodish shot, they can probably get a good shot against the Thunder defense. And even if they miss, they're better positioned to defend on the other end. Yeah, it's they do need to get back to, you know, what they like to call good for great. Uh, you know, they, they need to think about, hey, this isn't a bad shot, but we can get a better one. Um, and you're right, the positioning and where they are defensively was an issue. But uh, credit the Thunder who clearly were looking to, A, attack, but B, we're going to get Kevin Durant moving towards the basket. We're not just going to have him kind of come off the pick and be 
standing there. They were really trying to get him attacking and going, and it worked. And once he got, you know, once he got going, the thing is, everything got going. Deion Waiters has played much better in this series and has seemed to play better under uh, Billy Donovan and, and seems to have built his confidence back up, and he's been fine. More than that, look, Andre Roberson was with three of five from three, three of four in the first three quarters when it mattered. If he's hitting, like if the guy you're ignoring starts knocking down shots, it's going to be a long night for you. And the Thunder just between the second and third quarter could not miss. They just got in one of those grooves as a team that that they're going to beat anybody when they're shooting like that. When you compare the Thunder that we've seen in these last two rounds to the Thunder as you thought you knew them, what do you see as the number one biggest difference? I think their defensive effort and switching are much more consistent. Their communication on that end of the floor is, it's just, it's never been, we've seen it in flashes, but we've never seen it as much as we've seen it the last couple rounds and played as well as they have the last couple rounds. And with that come, I think some of that is that the role players have stepped up too, but I think whether it's buying into the system or finding a focus, um, whether you want to credit Donovan or just thinking they're maturing, whatever it is, they're actually playing so much better on that end consistently than I think they did during the season. I, I'll give you an overlapping answer. I, you know, that's definitely up there. My number one is Deion Waiters. Yeah. He is night and day better than, than he's ever been. And that includes defense where he's making the, the rotation so much yeah. better. He's more unselfish offensively. He's making his, his – you know, outside shots he, when he's open, he's passing the ball. I mean, he's he's like a different player, and that unlocks so much for them, like you said, defensively, but also their ability to go small. I mean, nobody has been able to go small and match up with the Warriors because the Warriors have the personnel to put, you know, three wings out there, Draymond Green at center. Nobody else, we thought, really had that. Maybe, you know, maybe Cleveland with LeBron, J.R. Smith, Shumper, you know, maybe they had had something that could work, but the the Thunder do. I mean, with Waiters as a viable wing player who you can have out there and have faith in, they can go small too, and that's opening up a lot for them. Yeah, I thought going into the series that they would stay big, that, that out-worrying, the, out-worrying the Warriors, for, for, <laughs> which is suddenly hard to say, um, was a terrible idea, except that it's working, and Waiters in, is at the heart of that, um, making it work, and Roberson's done a better job of like, yeah, they're leaving me alone. I'm either going to attack or I'm going to find somebody, you know, attack and find somebody else. I'm not just going to play their game and shoot this open shot. Although, again, it got hot. when everything got rolling in the third quarter, uh, he was hitting everything, and we'll see if that can continue. I think that that's one of the questions going into Game 4. If you're Golden State, if you're Steve Kerr, what are you telling this team? Is there? I mean, this is a team that's been down in this situation before, kind of made an adjustment and found a way back, but I'm not sure the magic adjustment is there as much as they kind of need to execute what they normally do better. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, they have been down 2-1. Everybody likes to bring that up. They were down 2-1 to the Cavs in the finals. They were down 2-1 to the Grizzlies. But the Thunder are so much better than those teams. I mean, yes. the, the Thunder the Thunder put themselves on the Warriors' level, and they have a 2-1 series lead now. That's tough. I, you know, I, I'm, if I'm Steve Kerr to answer your question, no, I'm not telling my team all that. But that's the reality of it, and I, I do agree with you. A lot of this is the Warriors being more patient and going back to uh, what worked for them. You know, what's really interesting to me now 
is the Thunder, they've used that big lineup that we thought they would use more because it was so effective against the Spurs, and they've had some success, some failures, some, you know, it's been mixed results. They can go back to that, and the Warriors can go back to playing different styles. I mean, both these teams are so versatile in the yeah. ways they can play that, you know, I I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know if there is, there probably isn't a knockout punch for either team. Uh, because it, it's so easy for both these teams to counter. It used to be that the Warriors were the only team capable of playing so well in so many different styles, but the Thunder can do it too. I think that that's a really good point, that, that their versatility of going big and small really stymies the one-move thing. But that said, the Warriors, there is something else there, which is simply they moved the ball great. They didn't hit their shots in the first quarter. They had chances. They actually found good looks. They were missing shots, and they can't afford that. They can't have Curry not being full-on MVP Curry this season. Their margin for error, this isn't Portland. Like, their margin for error in this series went from we thought they'd have some to they really don't have any. They're going to have to play at their best, at their peak, and they didn't. They got good looks and missed, and that, again, fuels the running going the other direction with Durant and Westbrook, and everything kind of takes off from there. They've got to put the ball in the basket, make them bring it up that way so they can get their defense set to have a chance. Here's the scary thing for the Warriors, though. It's always been if they played to their peak, they were going to win. I mean, no team could reach their level. I don't know if that's – it might yeah, be I don't the know. case, but I don't know if that's the case. The Thunder are playing so well. This, You know, if both teams are playing at their peak levels, I don't know who's better. Yeah. How much credit do you give Billy Donovan? A lot. A lot. He's, you know, I, like I said, I think the number one thing is Deion Waiters, but it's hard to tell exactly, you know, who's behind all of Waiters' progress. It might just be that Waiters isn't a contract for That might be all of it. I doubt that. I think I think Billy Donovan deserves some credit. Obviously, Waiters deserves the most credit, uh, but Billy Donovan is is showing a flexibility in his schemes. All the little things that that people complained about throughout the season—they're not staggering minutes with Westbrook and Durant. All those things. Donovan's getting them right. You know, he's, he learned on the job, and he's hitting his stride right now at the best time. Yeah, and he's also, when you're talking about the staggering minutes, that was, look, I don't think Scott Brooks didn't know that. I think that Scott Brooks had trouble getting buy-in, and I think that that's the one thing that Donovan really has done is defensively and with um, staggering minutes and with waiters to a degree, I think he's built him up. He's gotten buy-in from these guys that Brooks couldn't seem to get and it's a little look it's a little unfair to judge Brooks off the last couple playoffs because of injuries uh you know this wasn't a he never had the last two years a fully healthy Thunder team to to prove what he could do all that said Donovan seems to have a buy-in that I didn't see from the Brooks teams and that's credit to him too yeah fully um that is going to be a fascinating series I I think game four is I look Game four isn't a must-win game in the technical sense, but if the Warriors go down 3-1, I think they're in a lot of trouble. I think if it's 2-2, while the Thunder have a chance, they're now going to have to win again at Oracle, and that wasn't easy. I I think game four is really pivotal in this series. Well, yes, but it's kind of funny how we frame some of these things. Yeah, it'll be hard for them to to win in Golden State, and it wasn't easy for them to do it once, but, you know, it's not going to be easy for the Warriors to win in Oklahoma City, and they haven't done that yet. No, that's very true. Um, 
it is going to be fascinating in that series. The other series in the Eastern Conference, the other series, the Eastern Conference Finals, which we thought was, after, especially after the first two games, little more than a coronation. Somebody forgot to, you know, suddenly I feel like uh, Burgess Meredith and, Ro- you know, or not Burgess Meredith, but uh, Apollo Creed's corner man in Rocky. He doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. The <laughs> the uh, Toronto Raptors have made it a series. It's 2-2. Two to two. They've played... This is... It is stunning how much better this team plays at home than on the road, Dan. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's real simple to me. I'll, you know, they just, in the last two games, for really for the first time in these playoffs, maybe one or two exceptions in their first ten games. Uh, the, or I guess it would uh, it'd be a little more than that. The, the Raptors, they're playing like, uh, like they did in the regular season. They look like a completely different team through their first 16 playoff games and now all of a sudden they're doing what they do they're they're running everything through Lowry and DeRozan mostly through Lowry Corey Joseph is playing admirably as the as the lead guard off the bench and you know things are running through him when he's in without Lowry without Lowry and it it looks good you know the big difference to me I think between game three and four was as well as Lowry and and Toronto's other guards were defending Kyrie Irving you know, just made plays. He was better off in game four, and that's what made it close. But throughout the regular season, there wasn't a huge separation between the Cavs and the Raptors, not to the point where anybody would question Toronto winning two at home. But throughout the playoffs, these were different teams, and, you know, maybe we're just regressing to the mean. A little bit. You also had a really good story about how in game three, the Cavs got their looks. That they really got a lot of clean looks. They're ju- again, it, it's a suddenly I, I am Jeff Van Gundy. It's a make or miss league. It sounds simplistic, but they were getting their looks and missing them, and that really influenced this game. Well, see, I, I always do get a kick out of the it's a make or miss league. The good teams put themselves in position where it's a make or miss league, where you get a yeah. good shooter and he's going to make it or miss it, and you don't have other problems. And that's where the Cavs are now, I think, largely. Uh, especially offensively, they're getting the good looks. It's not their offense isn't disjointed. You know they're they're playing how they want to play. They're just missing shots, and you know they look like a premier shot making team in the first two rounds. Yeah, I think they were playing over their heads. I don't think they're that, but I do think they're a good enough shot making team uh, where they'll still beat the Raptors. But I I certainly think we do need to look at them differently now that we have a larger sample. Yeah, they, they have, I think, regressed to the mean a little on that, but I still think they'll get home and some of those shots will probably fall. And I don't know what Toronto's going to look like on the road. I just, they still have to prove that to me. Um, I still like Cleveland in this series. But the other guy we have not talked about, Bismack Biombo is getting himself paid. Bismack Biombo has been phenomenal on the boards and protecting the paint the last couple games and looking like the kind of guy that, well, the Raptors, frankly, needed with Valanchunas out. I don't know if I'm leading the Bismack Biombo max contract train, and that's more of a prediction that he could get one than he deserves one. But he's playing very, very well. The big question when it comes to free agency is going to be how old is he. And, you know, there were rumors when he came in the draft that he was a little older than they said, and I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, what is he officially? I, I think he's listed at 23. But but that may be, yeah, that may if be. If you think he's 23, I'd ha- he's probably worth a max contract in, in this environment because he probably should develop a little bit. 
more over the next couple of years and not not fall back at all throughout the life of a four-year contract. Uh, if he's a little older than that, he still might be because depending on where his age is... Yeah, if it's might... 25, that's one thing. If it's 28, that's another thing. I exactly. Think. And so, so you're saying basically he's a Philippines Little League player. We, we don't really know how old he is. <laughs> I'm not going that far. <laughs> I... I I don't want to put that much of an accusation on it. I'm just, I'm just saying there have been these questions, and teams are going to look into it as they should. And you know, maybe he is. You know, I don't. In, I in, don't know. It, it, it's just I do. You know, there are questions about him than pretty much anybody else that I can remember. And he's not the only one with questions, but he's faced the most. Yeah, it is interesting though. He is a guy who, on paper, really fits what you want to do with a modern NBA defense in the sense that. Look, he runs the floor, he protects the rim, he is the kind of center you could use. You know, he's going to get you some points at the rim, but he's not going to score a lot. But if you've got shooters, if you've got, you know, oh, I don't know, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Well, DeRozan's not really a shooter, but he's a scorer. If you've got those kind of those kind of, of situations, then you can have a guy in there who just defends and rebounds. You, you get the... I don't know, we'll call it the Tyson Chandler effect, where, yeah, he could score on the roll for Dallas, but they didn't need him to. They had Nowitzki. They had all the other guys who could put points up. They needed him to defend and get rebounds. Biombo's capable of doing that, but giving him a max is, I mean, there's a lot. Look, it'll probably happen or something close to it because there's so much money in the market, but I'd be nervous as I did it. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you for going down the rabbit hole Tyson Chandler. I thought his ability to... To finish on pick and rolls was huge for their offense. That's true. It is. Uh, so, but Bismack Biombo's not that. Is you know he's got some questions with his hands, although he's greatly improving on the offensive end. And I, I really do like how he does the little things offensively. He's not going to space the floor, but he you know he sets good screens and he's also very active. He gets out of guys' way when they're trying to drive. He you know he's going to yeah. be in position to get offensive rebounds. He he moves very well and gets you know to the right places for him. Now it's limited because he can't shoot. He can't pass. He, he can't dribble. So ideally there'd be more right places for him to be. But as much as there is a right place for a player like that, he gets there and he keeps moving. He's, you know, athletic and, and active. Uh, but yeah, I, when it, when it comes to the offseason, I'm going to give you one team where I think he'd be an excellent fit. I think he'd be a great fit with the Lakers. Actually, you know, they, that would be an interesting Angela fit. Russell, Jordan Clarkson, uh, potentially Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle. It's a nice court, one through four, and he could cover a lot of their mistakes at the five spot and give them room to grow. So you're saying he's better than than uh, Ian Mahimi, who they had, um, and everybody they had this year. Um, you mean you mean Roy Hibbert? Roy, oh God, that's right. They had Hibbert. I, that's, so you said Ian Mahimi. I had to think about it because Mahimi had a very nice year. Yeah, I'm yes, like, no, no, no. I'm better I, than Roy Hibbert. I'm like, I had my wrong Indiana Pacers forward in, <laughs> center in my head. Yeah, it would be better than Hibbert. The, yeah, the Lakers have had Hibbert and Hill the last couple of years, so um, they they can upgrade there, and it would he would be an interesting fit. Um, frankly, probably a slightly better fit for them than DeRozan, um, who's the name that keeps getting mentioned with the Lakers. All that said. If you're Toronto and you already have Valanchunas and you're going to see the money coming in at Biombo, I don't think you want to. I, I don't know that you want to spend that much to keep him. Well, the good news is you probably can't because mm-hmm. they have his non-bird rights, so they're not going to be able to exceed the cap to re-sign him. Uh, so if DeRozan's coming back, you pretty much can't. 
if the Raptors are in a position where they're choosing between DeRozan and Biombo, as much as I like Biombo, DeRozan's probably the yeah. Right there's not there's not much of a call there. They need they could use DeRozan to learn how to shoot a three, but all that said. DeRozan next to Lowry is like that is their offense. That is what generates. Look, they've both had they had what sixty seven points in the last game. They need those two guys together, really scoring, really dominating, to to take to take charge. So it'll be interesting. The question becomes if DeRozan leaves on his own, it'll be an unrestricted game. You know, do they spend that money on Biombo? Like you said, with Valanciunas starting, I would think not. I think they put that money to different uses and. And just yeah. move on, but then at least it becomes more available for for bringing back Biombo. And the Raptors have been good to him; they've put him in positions to succeed. They believe in him in a, a way that seems Charlotte never did. And you know, I, he might have a little loyalty to, to, to Toronto. I don't know if he'd take any sort of discount or if he should, but you know, he he might at least be open to hearing that out. Yeah, if if if, it, if it's close, I would imagine he might. Besides the playoffs, there's been a couple other things that we, since we've done a podcast, we haven't got to talk about. You like Nate McMillan in Indiana? It's a little weird that that Larry Bird would talk so much about playing faster than hire Nate McMillan, whose teams almost exclusively played slowly. Yeah. And I do like McMillan as a coach, but uh, you know, I, I think both sides. I think Bird is more flexible about the speed at which his team plays than he let on. And I think McMillan is more flexible about it, too. He used what worked with his roster and what he thought was ideal with maybe some old-school sensibilities. And I think he'd be more open to to playing faster now as the league has evolved. Vogel, I think, landed in about as good a spot as he could with, with Orlando. That's a roster, like he had said during his press conference, some of the groundwork for making them good is out of the way. You know, they... <laughs> They've started to figure some things out. I, I like the idea. He's going to go down there. He talked about playing small, which implies some Aaron Gordon at the five, which I like with them. If he can develop Oladipo and, and get some of their pieces together to really grow. I'm not, look, I'm a little bit with Scott Skiles and the I'm not sold on Alfred Payton camp. But if he can take their defense to the next level, this should be a playoff team in the East next year. And they can figure out what they really need to do for the steps after that. And that, by the way, remains a potential really good free agent destination. Whoa, playoff team in the East next year should be. You're you're uh, you're jumping a, a, a huge yes. I know. I'm ready to. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it was a team headed in the right direction. They're a young roster. I don't think they need to to do much to trend up. And so anything Vogel adds, it'd be nice. And so it's a good spot for him to to look good. But the Bulls didn't make the playoffs this year. The Wizards didn't make the playoffs this year. The Bucks didn't make the playoffs this year. That's true. You know, I, I do think there are other teams that are are bound to to take a step in the right direction. Also, so I I'm not quite as sold as you on Orlando as should be in the playoffs next year. But they do have all that cap space, and depending on who they can add, yeah, that could jumpstart things quite a bit. The Bulls, the Bulls are a whole different question too. Yes, the, the Wizards with Scott Brooks. I think. Look, I thought they would have been. One of the best teams in the East this year. They were horrible. I think they they can't be worse. Um, I don't 41 know. Forty one forty one is not. I don't know. I don't know if that's horrible. Well, I, I think well that's true. But they I think they were for a long stretch though. Yeah, and the Bulls. I just don't know what the Bulls are going to look like. I honest. I mean, it's not just that Pau Gasol and probably Noah are gone. Although they want to try to keep Noah, it's the how do they deal with the the Rose Butler situation, which became a thing uh, written about by Casey Johnson the other day. The problem is. 
I don't think you can give up on Butler. He's just too good both ways, even with all his issues. Too good both ways, too young. But you're not going to be able to trade Rose. Not with that salary, not with what he's got left. Um, so you're kind of either stuck or you try to move Butler. Well, I, I'd rather just ride out one more year of, yeah, exactly. of Derek Rose's contract and then you know, maybe they figure things out. I wouldn't count on that. And if you, you have to ride out one year, so be it. I'm not I'm not giving up on Jimmy Butler or selling low on him no. for Derrick Rose. No, not in the least. And I know that there's... But, you know, Casey Johnson just made a great point. Basically, it's not that even that they dislike each other other than both want to be the main guy on the team. It's their games don't mesh. You just, you can't... You Look, if Derrick Rose is driving, Jimmy Butler's not a spot-up three guy. Like they both kind of just don't, you can't really play them effectively together. And that just creates all sorts of problems. Um, I think that gets us through the Eastern conference for now. And a little look ahead. Uh, we'll be back to talk uh, more playoffs and some, Hey Dan, the NBA finals are next. We could talk about those someday. Um, oh boy. I hope there's some nut punches in those too. <laughs> that would be just awesome. Thanks for listening everybody. And we will be back soon with another edition of the pro basketball talk podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.